I'll be reading First uh, Peter chapter five, verses one through five, um, and that starts on page one two two zero in the NIV. To the elders and the flock, to the elders among you, I appeal, fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also, who will, who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are well wants you to be, doing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over the question to you, but being example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to others. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Thank you so much, Aidan. My name is Morris. I'm going to be taking us through those words from God over the next few minutes. So let's pray together and ask for his help. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who Peter has told us caused the Bible to be written. That same spirit lives in us today through the Lord Jesus when we trust And so we want to pray that he, your Holy Spirit, will open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Please give us obedient hearts to what we see in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been in this situation? This happened to me in a Zoom meeting, which is why it's a frustrated person looking at their computer. <laughs> uh, in a meeting where you sit and you discuss something for ages, you're trying to get a solution to a problem, and uh, you really feel like you've worked it out, and there's one person who hasn't really said anything all the way through, you feel like you've got to a solution to the problem. All the sort of gobby people like me have said, want to say, we've got to the solution. And then the quiet person says, um, that's going to work because of this. And it was like a very basic fact that only they knew that changed everything. I don't know whether you've been in a meeting like that. and You might snap your pencil in half out of frustration with that person. When that happens, when someone hasn't spoken forcefully, when they could have done, even though they had the most knowledge, that's often because they are what the Bible, what we would call humble. Because they're not obsessed with themselves, they assume they don't have the best thing to say. And it's unusual for people to believe to be like that. It was certainly unusual in the world that this was le letter was written. This letter was written by one of uh, Jesus' first followers, Peter, to little groups of Christians, and they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And in Rome, the emperor, who they've been told they should honor and respect, the emperor was regarded as the son of God. And he showed his glory as God's son by telling everybody what to do, by conquering as many people as possible. So in the world that they were living in, nobody got ahead by being humble. Nobody got ahead. Nobody got power or influence by thinking of other people as better than them. Now, I think today, given 2,000 years of Christianity, people value humility more. So people like being around humble people. But we are unlikely to listen to and promote and entrust 
leadership to humble people. Like in my meeting. You could say it's all very well being frustrated in that meeting, but if you knew this person was humble and knowledgeable, why didn't you ask them to speak first? Because it's not the way the world works. We give influence to people who seek it. And of course, humble people are unlikely to think they're qualified to be leaders. They're too humble. Well, in this bit of the Bible we've had read today, Peter says God gives grace to the humble, shows favour to the humble. That should give us pause. That is saying God only gives his help to people who realise they need his help. In fact, if we are proud, that is, we think we don't need God's help or the help of other people, we're the one everyone should listen to, Peter's very clear, God will oppose us. All of which is to say that Christians make a big mistake promoting and encouraging people to lead in the church. We make a mistake to promote people who are likely to think they're right who don't listen, who think, hmm, I'm doing pretty well as a Christian and uh, I expect other people to submit to me. Oppose people like that. So I would suggest that's probably not who you want in charge of your church. But we still think, Christians still think throughout the world today, God will help us if we have the strongest leaders, the cleverest leaders, the funniest leaders, the richest leaders. And Peter says, no, not if those people are as people like that tend to be. Dig out the humblest people and put them in charge. Get your leaders to work on their humility or God will oppose you. Now, there have been a lot in this letter, 1 Peter, about when it comes to authority in the world that we deal with. And generally, Peter said, Christians should submit to that authority in the world. We basically need to accept that the world is unjust, and we should put up with that, the way Jesus put up with injustice, so we get chances to spread the gospel, basically. And he is going to say that submission to leadership in the church is something that should happen as well. But he is going to make it very clear that the type of leadership that should be submitted to, that should be recognised and should be followed, is an entirely different type of leadership than the leadership of the emperor. I've got three things to say today, but the first one's the longest, just to warn you that in advance. And it's this shepherding like Jesus. It's hard to be asked to do something difficult by someone who you perceive has not done that tricky thing themselves. Have you ever had that? Someone says to you, you really ought to do this. And you think, well, you're not doing it. That's why Peter, as he's about to address the elders of the church in verse 5, makes it clear he is trying to walk this path of leading the church. And he, uh, there's a bit of debate about whether he means older people in the church or people formally appointed to be leaders, elders. To be honest, in this, the earliest of churches, it probably means both. The people who were heads of households were probably also acting as elders of house churches. 
And then as the churches grew beyond that, the later letters in the New Testament, you get instructions about bigger churches choosing and appointing elders based on what they're like. But that means that this all applies to you and to me. If you are an elder, that simply means, includes you, if you've been here long enough or been a Christian long enough, that somehow people are following you. So if you're a kids leader or a worship leader, or you used to be on the church staff team, or you're just someone that people tend to regard as an older Christian, these principles of leadership apply. You don't get to dodge it, I'm afraid, by having no formal rule. People are having to follow you, and this makes it clear what they should follow. And Peter stops better than I've done it, so you should do what I say. Although he does say that, I'm a fellow elder. He says, I, in verse 1, saw Jesus suffer for the sake of glory that came later. I saw Jesus do that. So the humility he is about to ask leaders to take for the sake of future glory is hard. But not only has Peter walked the walk, he saw Jesus Christ, the king of everything, walk this path of humbling himself for future glory. And that is the first basic thing about Christian leadership that Peter is saying. Christian leadership walks the model of choosing what's hard for the sake of others, not for any reward you get now, but for a reward from Jesus in the end. That means Christian ministry, Christian leadership, is not to be chosen as a fulfilling career path. We don't say if we're serving in church, you know, I should be allowed to serve in this way because I really like doing that. No, leadership is choosing something that's presently difficult to benefit others for the glory that comes later. And he has two pictures, Peter, of what that is doing, shepherding and overseeing or watching over. The word for shepherd there literally means feeding and care. I love this picture of this man feeding a sheep. Uh, serious shepherding. If we think about that psalm that Dan read to us at the beginning of the service, of how a very famous psalm about how the Lord is shepherd, think about what that means. For all of us, the Lord provides. The Lord stays with us through hard times. The Lord corrects us and guides us. Now, our leader's role will be much more limited than God's role. No Christian leader can be present with you all the time in the way that God is, by his spirit. Hmm? <laughs> Might want to check your phone. No? Well done. Uh, no leader will be with us all the time the way God is with us all the time. But that is the model. This care, provision, presence. And I would guess in our culture we're quite happy with the idea of leaders as shepherds. Maybe we are less happy with the second picture, watching over or oversight. Uh, it's funny that word oversight. It can mean like a mistake. If you say it was just an oversight. Uh, but it's not what it means here. But in the church that I grew up in, the people who led the church were called the oversight. 
which actually is quite appropriate, considering some of the things that they did. Anyway, it means being watched over. Now, in our culture, we are all deeply committed to independence. We are deeply committed to being who we want to be. But if you want to be in a church, you need to realise the leaders are charged to have some oversight, some care for the way that you are living. To be able to help like a shepherd, shepherd, the leaders have to know you somewhat and what's going on with you. So if you want to be shepherded, you need to be ready to be overseen. So if a church leader who does things like leads your connect group every week and brings you God's word and you know that they pray for you and they go to endless meetings about making decisions about the church and you know that church and everything else, so the person is shepherding the church. And if that person then says to you, okay, I've noticed you're living this way. I'm not sure it's right. Help me understand. I think you should think about it. They're not being nosy. They're not stepping on what they're supposed to do. That's their job. Shepherding and overseeing. Now, I think one of the reasons we're nervous of someone taking that role in our lives is that anyone who wants to know such things about us must have a different agenda. We are so used to the authority of others we're used to out there to know us so that they can judge or gossip or use against us. Did you ever see those Facebook quizzes? It was like a Facebook quiz, basically like, what's your mother's maiden name, Facebook quiz. Do you see that? And as people were filling it in, my mother's maiden name is this. It's like they're trying to get your passwords. They're trying to get access to your bank account. Now, we're used to that approach to information. Someone is trying to get private things from me so it can be used against me. Our privacy is about self-protection. But Peter says, leaders of the church are supposed to watch over you. But our nervousness about that is why Peter says that leaders in the church should be doing it, not in some ways, but in other ways. He says leaders in the church should be doing it not because they must, but because they are willing. I think that he's said, saying that because of Jesus' suffering, we should be willing. If leaders have the mindset, you know, of doing this, I'm doing this because I have to. Think about a shepherd. A shepherd he doesn't really like, but he has to be there looking after them not going to do a very good job of looking after the sheep. He's likely to be extremely careless with sheep, with people. He's not going to give them appropriate care. People who aren't willing won't bother. But rather, if you are an older Christian, willingly take on this role of shepherding others. So you do it well. Because being shepherded and overseen is so personal, leaders must be in it with a heart to serve others, not to gain something for themselves. Now, the actual word here, this word that we have translated dishonest gain, is actually about money. Don't do it to get money, which hardly seems likely today, in Britain at least. Although, actually, in many cultures, being a church leader 
is a safe and comfortable income, much safer than lots of other jobs around. And he's saying that may be the case, but don't choose it for that reason. Generally, you won't be a good shepherd, a careful shepherd, if you're in it for yourself. I remember in my immaturity as a young leader, and honestly, I see this now as I see people entering ministry for the first time and you're just getting used to it. People come to ministry, as I did, really thinking, well, I'm quite good at this, so it should feel really foolish as I was. And then for the first time, you come across someone you're trying to help or study the Bible with or help to grow, and they're totally ungrateful. You know, someone you met with one-to-one for a while, and all of a sudden they say, I'm leaving the church now. Or someone you've been trying to help, the way you're trying to help me, leave me alone. And it's interesting how many of us, when we are young and we haven't thought this through, immediately get very self-righteous. Get very like, I helped them out, and they haven't even thanked me. They still complained about me. I'm very angry. I'm going to back off them now. I might even criticise them behind their back. What does that expose? It exposes that I was in this for me. For my gain of feeling loved or useful. Not because, as Peter says, I should have been eager to serve. Uh, Now, you might be thinking, oh, it's all right for me. I don't really want to lead, so I don't need to be eager to serve. But remember, all older Christians are growing into this role. As you go on as a Christian, you are leading, either badly or well. And he's saying, if you only lead in such a way that it's suitable for you, you're going to be a bad leader. Because being shepherded and overseen is so personal, it should be done mainly by example rather than by telling. Now, perhaps this is the biggest difference with the leadership we're used to today. It is very rare to have a leader, I think, in the so-called secular world who really leads mostly by doing it themselves. So this is no criticism. This is just the way the structure works of anybody who's in these roles. But most head teachers don't actually do very much teaching anymore. Most senior leaders in organisations, because of the way things are structured, don't do the jobs that very junior people do. Now, it's structures that make that necessary. There's no criticism. But what that defaults to, then, is that we lead by telling, putting, you know, writing a strategic plan and giving it to everybody and say, OK, you do that. Asserting ourselves. Controlling. But the main way church is by example. Now, I could just, you know, you might think this is an odd thing to say in a sermon. Should I just be like acting out how to live as a Christian? Here's some money, give me away. You follow my example. I am speaking to you at this moment. But I do want to say, while there is a talking bit, my authority, like in sermons, is strictly limited by what God says in the Bible and actually what our church governing documents say. I can't start telling you things that are disallowed by those. And it's not the main bit of the job of being a church leader at all. 
The main bit of the job is to be an example, to live in a way that is worth copying. Again, if you're thinking, well, that would be for me because I'm not a very good example, I wouldn't presume to be a leader. That could just be justifying not being willing, pursuing your own game, being a bad example. Whereas you need to face up to the fact that as you go on as a Christian, people will follow you. It's not uncommon for me to meet younger Christians who've got into very bad habits because they've been copying an older Christian, even though that person was never called a leader. So occasionally around the place, for example, I bump into people and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And I try and gently say, or if you want to have that discussion, they want to talk about it with me, the Bible actually says the importance of being together is very important. Do you know what they always say? Oh, yes, but there was this older Christian in my life, and they were really great, and they never went to church. No one appointed them a leader, but they were leading. So we all have a responsibility to not be unwilling, to not be selfish, to be an example Look at Jesus suffering and then glory. And if there's a way you think, gosh, it could be something in my life that people are following that wouldn't be great, well, then we repent and we seek something different. But I do also want to be clear that this note to leaders is in a letter addressed to the whole church because you have every right to expect this from the people officially appointed as elders in the church, including me. This is where the submission we're about to discuss is very different to that offered to the authorities outside the church. In that, we often just have to put up with poor behaviour because we have to focus on being a church and spreading the gospel and we have no control over the decisions of the authority. We can't do anything about it. We submit to their poor authority so we can get on with the things we've got to do. But this is here written to the whole church because churches should expect and even enforce this behaviour on people who lead them. Jesus is very clear. When he speaks about leadership, he says, leadership amongst you should not be the same as it is in the world outside. And whose responsibility is that? It's the whole church's. So if you think I am not shepherding, we're not overseeing. Or if you feel like or suspect that I have an attitude of not being willing or pursuing my own gain or luring it over people, trying to impose my will, or there's some way that I'm a bad example, it is your job to say. That's why this is written to the whole church. Now, ideally, that would be to me, but understand that might be quite a complex thing to do. But if not, then say it to someone else who has power to talk to me. And sometimes that has happened to me. It's hard. And of course, sometimes people say things and I think they're mistaken. But still, I'd rather hear it and weigh it up than anyone feel fear about saying something. It is here for the whole church so any of us can say. Now, bringing a charge against an elder is a big deal. The Bible talks about it elsewhere. You know, if you're going to formally bring a charge against an elder, there's a process for that. 
But you should feel free to informally say to any of the church leaders, I'm not sure that was right. And I hope, I think I speak on behalf of all of the people formally appointed as elders, that we would both expect and welcome that. The main way leaders keep their hearts like that in verse 4 is because the approval we want is the approval of the chief shepherd. Jesus wants this type of leadership. Anyone leading should welcome anything that points them towards leading like him. Of course, it can be upsetting, but we just said our aim isn't to make ourselves happy. Of course, it's not nice to hear criticism, but it's not our aim to please other people. Our aim is to receive the crown of glory from Jesus by shepherding like him. If you are leading some way and the group of people are important to you, please shepherd in front of Jesus, not to their expectations. Because if those people's opinion is very important to you, you will do the job badly. There's one chief. He's the one we do it in front of. Now, I was about to segue into my next point by saying, that's my bit, here is your bit, uh, because this is about following shepherds who shepherd like Jesus. And then I realised, actually, that would not be an accurate way to speak at all, because um, I actually realised, because we have what we call plural eldership in this church, where decisions are made by a group of elders, often, not often, sometimes decisions are made, which I don't particularly choose and I have to get along with them too so this is not just for you it's for me Uh, and here's what we're going to learn about following shepherds who shepherd like Jesus Peter says in the same way verse 5 which I assume means in the same way motivated by Jesus sacrifice now and glory later glory later submit or be subject to your elders now if you're at all aware of things going on in the wider church You may be aware that there are big issues surfacing in our bit of the church, really, about abuse of authority. A friend said to me, even this week, I don't really trust any Christian leaders anymore because I've seen so many poor examples. And he, basically, we were talking about this passage, said, I feel allergic to people, to verses like this. When he talks about younger people, Peter, I think he just means people who aren't elders. And he does say you should submit yourselves to people leading. And particularly if you've had bad experiences of that, that could seem very scary. But what is Peter asking you to submit yourself to? He is not asking you to submit yourself to leadership that commands or overpowers. Because that is ruled out. He's not asking you to submit to people who are serving themselves. Because that's not allowed. He's not asking you to submit yourself to someone who's clearly making a lot of money for themselves. That is not allowed. And in fact, a lot of Christians around the world could do with really clocking that. There are lots of Christians around the world submitting in leadership to those types of leadership where someone's clearly making a lot of money, they shouldn't be submitting to that. They should be speaking up. 
if there are famous Christians, obviously in it for themselves, stop supporting them. But if you do have leaders who are willing, service-motivated, examples, not orderers, I, I can't speak for myself, but I can tell you that my fellow elders are all like that. So my experience is that you do have leaders who are like that. Although I don't know all that you know, but if you have leaders like that, which I think you do, submit to following their example. Let me tell you what I mean. I had a friend, not from our church, recently say to me about their church leader, he's done a really good thing because he's moved into this very tough area where the church is based in order to reach that area. And I really, really admire, I think she even used the word, I admire his example making that choice. I so admire him taking the decision, but also I'm glad he's done it so I don't have to move my family there. Now can I say in leadership, that's a relatively common experience. People will tell you, I think to be encouraging, they see you willingly do something servant-hearted and good. But they tell you as if it's there to be sort of like a museum piece. If you've appointed the right leaders, people who are your leaders don't want to be admired. Not supposed to be seeking that. If we're doing something that's following Jesus' example, it's so other people can follow that example. If you see it, and you see it's right, submit yourself to following it. That's what he means, I think, by submit yourselves to your leaders. I think often we do delegate the hard stuff to our leaders. We say, it's good they're doing that very servant-hearted thing because it means I don't really need to take that on. And it's the opposite should be true. Where you see someone leading and you think, I am impressed they are making that choice, go and do likewise. Follow their example. That's what submission means, I think. So to be clear, nobody is saying submit to the commands of a leader you can see as ungodly. But he is saying if you had good examples, it is wrong to simply admire them. It's even worse to secretly think, well, at least my friend is honest enough to voice. We've delegated making sacrificial decisions for Jesus to our leaders. So we don't have to take them. Submit yourself to the exampling leadership by following. And here's the last thing, because grace flows downwards. We have been schooled in our culture. We've been taught to trust ourselves. More than that, to sort of define ourselves, to invent ourselves, to just be you. To work out what our potential is and then strive to reach it. What we think and feel about ourselves should mean we can and should change who we are, even on the outside, even in quite radical ways. So even at this moment, while we may admire humble people, we've basically, if you've grown up in the West, we've been trained not to have humility. 
Because humility means approaching any situation, assuming you may be wrong. Even about your deepest, most personal views about yourself. We're not taught to, be, to assume that we might be wrong. We're taught to say, I am right and everybody else should work around me. Well, Peter said, all of you, which is leaders and elders and youngers, all of you clothe yourselves in humility towards what he's described can only work if leaders are humble and followers are humble. And then he slips in this devastating principle. God opposes the proud and only gives grace to the humble. Now that makes logical sense because grace can only go down. You, know, you can only receive undeserved kindness if you're willing to say, I don't deserve it. So grace can only get to you if you're humble enough to say Peter just slips it in because I think Peter's readers were probably a humble lot their life was one of humiliation and being cast out and ignored because they're Christians and so he's able to make an aside to say God opposes the proud because they didn't have much pride didn't have much to be proud about but I we have to take this much more seriously because we've been socialised into being proud. It's what happens, isn't it? We take even the most gentle disagreement as an insult. If someone says to you, I'm not really sure you got that right, we go off and say, I can't believe they disrespected me in that way. We hate self-examination. We hate even more over and intervened with. Even if we feel overlooked and not given attention, we are angry. Taught it right. All of you, Peter says, clothe yourselves in humility. I love that picture because he's basically saying, okay, sometimes you can't feel humble, but you can take a humble attitude. Clothe yourself in it. You might really battle with thinking, I know more than this person. Well, still clothe yourself with humility towards them. And I could give a talk on how people being like that, you know, people not submitting or not being humble, makes leadership impossible. You can work that out. You talk about it in connect groups. I'm going to lecture you about that. Here's what I can say. When leaders are not humble, that is a toxic disaster. When leaders bring their self-assured, modern, Western, non-spiritual overconfidence to church, that means people are not shepherded, but crushed. And God will oppose work, but not a pride. So no matter how right you think you are, and as you go on as a Christian, that becomes more natural. You feel like you're more likely to be right. You approach everybody that they are more likely to And how do you know if you're doing that? Well, do you bubble with anger at being slighted? Do you put yourself at the centre of every interruption? You might have a good aim to spread the gospel or take the gospel to the nations or live for Jesus. But God will oppose you. God will oppose us if we are proud. Grace flows Godward. Now, you may wonder, how do I know if I'm humble? We're going to talk about an important marker next week. But here's what I want to finish by saying this. 
The essence of Christianity is amazing news, that we needed help, and God, in his grace, was happy to give us the help we needed in his us. There is no better news than that. But it's a deep challenge to me that the basic mark of what it means to be human then is that I need help. That means I can only go through life aiming for humility because the basic truth about me as a person was I needed help. And once I stop accepting that, I set myself up in opposition to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that amazing grace which comes downward to us when we are willing to be humble and ask. We pray, please, in the way this church is led and the way people follow, will it be through examples of humble service that are followed by others. We ask you to do that in us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.